Fable, pastoral podcast that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. And I'm Matt Henry, and we are on the subject of Systematic Theology 3 on church government. We're going to now begin to make our argument for elder and specifically elder rule, right? Right. All right, so we gave you a broad overview of the various denominations, how they approach the governing church. And so what we'll do now is a bit of a deep dive into how we approach it ourselves. Um, but like everything, we're only beginning to do the deep dive. So uh, it's a, it should be a short podcast, but it does give you a sense of the development of the idea of elders. So much of how churches govern themselves is due more, we would argue, to tradition than really overt scriptural teaching. And it's hard to really push back against that because it's just the way that people have always done it. Uh, but if you do belong to a denomination such as the Lutherans or the Presbyterians, then this is going to be likely of little help to you, but hopefully informative. Uh, those denominations are established in how they do things. Uh, you're not going to be able to create some change of direction in, in all likelihood. Uh, literally, if you became convinced this was the best way, what we're going to be arguing for, you'd have to actually find a new church, you know, and... Also, we're going to tell you that very few churches really do what we would argue is true elder rule. Uh, but we also find the hard realities that most people are quite pragmatic about the subject as well, uh, because whatever form their church takes on ultimately still works, for the most part at least, and so they leave it alone. And, and we would even say it makes sense uh, in that way. It's not like you're going to go to hell sure. <laughs> if you believe in an archbishop. Um, <laughs> however... We want to at least expose you to our view of governing a church, and in doing so, we hope to provoke you to think through what happens in various churches. Remember, we're doing this for our church, um, and so it's helpful for all the people that go to our two uh, churches that they're able to understand what goes on uh, kind of behind the scenes, if you were. Uh, how a church is governed is often the cause of great problems or great protections for the people there. And if you just need to wonder what that looks like, think about the great evil that you see within the Roman Catholic Church and how they deal with priests and bishops who have uh, molested others. Uh, they just move them around and they perpetuate the evil. But before we throw stones too quickly there, we see the same thing going on in Protestant denominations as well. The head offices just shuffle problem pastors around wherever they can, and they keep things quiet. And the idea is they want to protect against scandal or fallout. In other words, they're less concerned about the people than the cost it will do to their um, denomination. And now with the rise of all these independent churches, it's protecting the brand, right? Right, right. Um, even independent churches fall into it. In the world of e Big Eva, in other words, we see the reoccurring sins that show up in mega churches. Uh, again, it's not restricted to a mega church, but we see them popping up there because they're so obvious. The pastor really simply becomes too big to fail. 
And so the leadership covers up for them. The church leadership is run more like a business rather than a church. And so the effect is seen over and over and over again with churches like Mars Hill, Coral Ridge, Presbyterian, and Harvest Bible Chapel. And we, we could go on with that list. But in reality, the form is not as important as the character of the leaders. And this is too often missed by people. If the leadership, whatever form is taken, including elder rule, is largely controlled by godly men, then good things will take place. But once the character begins to be compromised, then ungodliness and unrighteousness always will move in. And this must happen because leaders are compromised. So while we argue that elder rule is the best choice for a church, we're not foolish enough to think that we have that, if we have that form, that the, then the righteousness is just going to flow from on high. It just doesn't work that way. Right. Um, so today we want to talk about, uh, or we want to begin to do a, build a positive instruction for the nature of elder rule as what we would, do, I mean, what we'd regard as the best form of governing in the local church. So let us just begin with a historical overview of eldership. First of all, the concept of elder, that's not something unique to the New Testament church. It's, uh, its roots actually extend far back into history, perhaps even to what's known as prehistory. Uh, there are mentions of elders in ancient Sumerian, uh, Akkadian, Babylonian, and Hittite texts. Um, and so we also see this then in, in Hebrew society. So we don't have the time in which... <laughs> what? I quietly adjust your microphone so you can be heard better. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, it's not like I stroked your cheek or something. Well, very close. <laughs> I feel like I'm chewing on this thing now. Well, you're not. Leave it alone. <laughs> Am I quiet over there? No, you why? sound a lot better now. Uh, okay. Hebrew society. Um, <laughs> so we don't have a time in which the Bible doesn't indicate the presence of elders within Hebrew society. Um, in fact, they were part of the very fabric of Jewish or Hebrew society. So in Isaiah chapter 3, verses 2 through 3, it's interesting because it lists 11 different leadership positions there, and one of those is the elder. In Genesis 15, verse 7, we see Joseph bearing his father, uh, and with him are elders. In Exodus 3.16, Moses is directed by God to go and gather the elders of Israel together and to speak to them with regard to what's happening. And that, again, shows that elders were part of the very fabric of society. Yeah, it's not like Moses said, um, what elders? Right. <laughs> They're yeah. there. Yeah, uh, and, and he knew who they were and so that he could gather them. And, and obviously the people knew who they were. Yeah, they were recognized. Uh, in Numbers eleven sixteen, it says, The Lord therefore said to Moses, Gather for me seventy men from the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and their officers, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. So that shows that even among the elders, there were some better or more, yeah. some more respected. Yeah, so it's like now you got all of them, find the best 70. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it shows that they functioned in... Uh, some oversight capacity. In Deuteronomy 21, parents of rebellious children would um, bring a child to the elders who would essentially function like a court of hearing. And if the child was seen as guilty, then they would participate in the stoning of that yeah, child. Yeah, that's, that's a crazy passage. No, that's not a, a terrible twos. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. They're talking about 
an adult child who is now, you know, they're past the age of 13 sure. and they're openly in rebellion, but serious stuff. Mm-hmm. In Ruth 4, 1 through 9, uh, we see their elders functioning as official witnesses. And then in uh, Proverbs 31, 23, uh, an excellent wife, uh, it says, works in such a way so that her husband's reputation before the elders is a good one. And that one's interesting because it shows how the wife can either build up or tear down her own household. Yeah. Okay. And I, that's something my wife will talk to other ladies about of just how are you promoting your husband and, and his home? Um, or are you that stone that, you know, he's having to drag behind him everywhere he goes? Now, along with that, though, then a plurality, boy, that's a hard word for me to say, a plurality of elders is something seen in the entire Old Testament. And we're not going to spend much time on this other than to say that a simple search on the term elders will reveal it. So I'll just kick off a list. Elders of Israel, elders of the people, elders of the congregation, elders of the city, elders of your tribes, and elders even of the priests. So with this basic uh, introductory material, we can make at least three conclusions. The first is that there is always a plurality of elders in the Old Testament. The reason is not given, though it would seem that it's due to the strength of, of shared wisdom. Second, the elders are, were always male. There was never any indication that a female would serve in this specific capacity. This gets into eventually... The, the role of men and women within the church, because people always say, well, Deborah was a judge. Well, that's not an elder. That right. was a judge. And right. it's still not the church, but you know they, they always go there. But when you look at the actual idea of elders, the Old Testament only speaks of male elders. Third, they were seen as official leaders who were to be respected by the people. So those are at least three basic conclusions we can go with that. From there, you go into the intertestamental period, and there arose two types of elders. It's kind of interesting, this part. Which um, is the time between the Old and the New Testament. Yeah, hence the intertestamental. Yes. Just no, tr- I, just you're just to... clarifying. I know. You're a helper. Um, when <laughs> if, <laughs> go when, home. Go home. Uh, <laughs> when... <laughs> When Israel and Judah were taken away into captivity, um, people don't realize this. The people were no longer able to worship in the temple, uh, and that's a major problem. Uh, In order then to maintain a link to the religious life, they needed to meet still to study the law and prayer. And that was actually the beginning of what eventually became the synagogue. The leadership of this new type of meeting fell upon the shoulders of the godly and the wise of the people, in other words, the elders. And so this led to the second but very connected type of leader. As their authority then began to increase during this period between the Testaments, uh, and and it began to increase beyond uh, that time before the exile, some of them became part of what's known as the Sanhedrin, and their actual number were 70. Then in the New Testament, the idea of elder continues on. There is not a clear consensus on how connected the elders in the church were to that Old Testament idea in Israel. Some will see that there's little connection other than the idea that, you know, these are respected men, but not necessarily a natural outgrowth of Jewish religious life. Others take it to mean that because the church started in Israel and was clearly Jewish in its makeup, therefore the idea of elders flowed out of that shared experience. Um, but regardless of how 
the concept of elders developed, the Bible makes clear modifications to this office and role to conform to a Christian perspective. And that's the important point. Yeah. It's like it doesn't really matter where they came from. Uh, you can see an argument for both sides, right? But what mm-hmm. matters is it became extremely regulated in the New Testament. So yeah. that's what is more important. Mm-hmm. And th- th- it also goes to show how your hermeneutic will inform. Yeah. Right? yeah. So if you really do see a strong continuity between the two, you're going to be looking to those Old Testament passages to sort of inform or fill out what you think's being said in the New Testament. Which is interesting, though, because we talked in a previous podcast that within that continuity, covenantal kind of perspective, they borrow a lot from the Old Testament priesthood. Right. But that's not what the New Testament does. It, if, if anything, it's borrowing from the elders, not the priesthood. And so they go and say, well, the elders, the pastor is like the priest. And it's like, no, no, yeah, they're not. that's a good point. Anyhow. Yeah. Um, so th- that is, this is important, though, um, in that although eldership is rooted in the culture, it was not merely a cultural event. God is sovereign over all, and he superintends all cultures. And so although it's, it's likely, likely has its history within that fabric of the Jewish society, it did go through those modifications, making it now uniquely Christian. So by Acts 11.30, the elders were clearly the leaders of the churches. Um, in Acts 14.23, Paul and Barnabas were in the habit of appointing elders wherever there was a church. In Acts 15, we find the elders are working there alongside the apostles. The elders most likely replaced the apostles, um, and Acts shows the passing of that baton to them. Uh, a key difference being that the apostles had authority in every church, while the elders would be restricted to their their local church. In right. Um, and then in the New Testament, the two key terms are elder and overseer. Sometimes it's translated as as bishop. Uh, those are used interchangeably, and there is zero distinction between them. Yeah, zero. And so, yeah, enough said on that. So what about then the post-New Testament period? Well, that continuity of the plurality of elders slash bishops um, or overseers appears to be the norm for the polity of the church until the second century. Uh, In other words, these two terms were not treated as different offices and having different responsibilities. Uh, this is seen in documents such as First Clement, the Didache, the Shepherd of Hermes, and Polycarp's letters or letter to the Philippians. None of these show any indication of the rise of the monarchical bishop, meaning the one that is over multiple churches that would develop later. But by the second century, there came a shift. This is most obviously seen in the influential writings of Ignatius and Irenaeus. Uh, Ignatius spoke of the bishop presiding in the place of God and the elders or presbyters in the place of the apostles. So that's how uh, Ignatius saw it. It seemed evident um, by the time of Irenaeus that the monarchial bishop is an accepted practice within most churches. The simple twofold order of ministry in the New Testament of elders and deacons evolved into a clear threefold order of ministry then by the third century. Century, Sorry. Um, so th- that's probably enough for today. Yeah. Um, <laughs> probably, uh, you, you know, you learn more about the idea of being an elder than you wanted. Uh, But there you go. Uh, And so we'll pick up on this topic with our next episode in Systematic Theology 3, and we hope you'll listen to that. Uh, We plan on doing what we often do, uh, which is we're going to begin with that simple lexical tour of the keywords connected with the idea of leading the church. 
uh, terms like elder, overseer, shepherd, all that stuff we're going to explore. Uh, so until then, we hope that you continue to grow in the faith, uh, that your hope will rest solely on the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, make sure to tune in, join the conversation. If you have any questions on this subject of church government, simply drop us a note. And don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, and review on iTunes. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And tell a friend. <laughs>